Hello and welcome to Life of Die, the podcast which discusses all things role-playing game and tabletop gaming related. In this first of a series of podcasts, we finally turn our attention to one of our favourite games, Epic. And I'll be joined by my good friend Craig, who's also a fellow Epic fanatic. And together we'll be talking about the game's history and our history with the game. Hi Craig, how you doing? Hello, yeah, I'm good, thanks. <laughs> good stuff. So where did Epic start for you? Were you first edition or were you later I on? wasn't first edition, no. So my earliest memories of Epic were my brother, who's 10 years older than me, bringing home, uh, he brought home the Metal Reaver Titan from Adeptus Titanicus, but we didn't have any didn't have any rules for it. I think he just bought it maybe because he thought it looked cool and it came with the little six mil space marine that sat on the base as well, just to give you a sense of scale with it and stuff. So yeah, that was the first time I'd seen anything from the Epic line prior to that he'd kind of dabble a little bit with Rogue Trader and, and Warhammer Fantasy Battles stuff. So I already had some exposure to like Games Workshop miniatures, so this was definitely a bit different. And I think later on, he then maybe split a box of the Warlord Titans with a friend of his. And again, they kind of painted them up and stuff. But again, we didn't have any rules for it. It was just just him buying stuff to, to paint and play with. And then yeah. eventually, when the second edition starter box came out for Space Marine, that was when we da- that was when we got into it. So he went and picked that up and graciously painted it all up. So we had the three starter armies that came in that box. So you had a, a Space Marine army with kind of land raiders, rhinos, and tactical marines. You had the plastic warlord Titan, which was the same as the one from Adeptus Titanicus. And then you had a small Eldar force of just guardians and grav tanks and orcs with uh, battle wagons. So and, and buildings as well. So it gave you a really good starter. It was one of the still one of the best starter boxes I think the Games Workshop have, have done and certainly of that era to give you three armies out of the box is really cool and give you a chance to explore the kind of different races a little bit. So yeah, picked that up. Didn't really expand on it massively. So when I look back at the time I, I always thought it was we had we had masses of stuff. But when I look back at the photos, all that we really did, we expanded a little bit on Space Marine armies the Eldar, picked up Imperial Guard, which was one of the other factions, and kind of dove into that quite a bit because I think we're both kind of into sort of real-world military history and World War the Imperial Guard kind of spoke to us because it was more tanks and artillery pieces and flyers and everything like that that came with them. So that was one of our favourites. And we also expanded a little bit in the Orcs, but when I actually look back again in the photos, I think we actually really only had a couple of clans worth, so maybe less than 2,000 points. So really small games we were probably playing. And this was this kind of carried on, trickling in a few a few new bits and bobs every every few months for for a couple of years. And then in 1985, Titan Legions was released. And at that point, a couple of my friends from school were also getting into 40k. So the second edition 40k box had just been released as well, and we're getting into that. And later on, Necromunda in late 95. So my friends were getting into that for the painting aspect as well as. A little bit of gaming and i was managing to kind of pull them into to epic about at the same time so one of my friends picked up the titan legions box set which came with the imperator titan and the mega gargants and the knights and, and all the kind of big toys and it also had updated rules for second editions so that kind of refreshed everything a little bit and gave us new stuff to play with and from that point on i think i was kind of more or less following the, the games workshop release schedule so there, after titan legions they were releasing stuff pretty solidly every month for, and giving you rules and white dwarf and all that so there was things like the elder revenant titans and the, the flyers and the chimeras i remember so as all that stuff came out we were buying it and playing with it and adding it to our armies and again my brother was painting it all because i couldn't paint 
for Toffee at the time and uh, arguably <laughs> haven't improved too much, but uh, there's there's that. Don't think so. Well, <laughs> so being modest. Yes, yeah, fish, fishing for compliments more like. <laughs> but no, it's uh, yeah, like uh, it, was, it was annoying actually when I look back at the stuff he painted back in the day with rubbish paints and, and no tutorials and stuff, and he was still knocking it out of the park, whereas I still struggle to achieve that a level. But yeah, we were playing kind of solidly through that kind of Titan Legions era into sort of nineteen ninety six, and then nineteen ninety seven came along and Epic Forty Thousand was kind of touted, and at that stage I was getting into my teens and my brother had left for uni so didn't really have anyone to play with and that was a kind of natural stopping point almost for it anyway well i think i think we both kind of took a look at it and we decided it was kind of too much to take on and relearn everything and and get into it so it felt like a kind of natural stopping point with it and that's not to say we didn't you know we played a couple of odd games beyond that it's not as if we were totally burnt everything as soon as that came out or anything <laughs> like that as i know i'm sure a few dramatic people will have attested to but uh, yeah, it was just it was just a kind of natural stopping point for us. And then I kind of fell out of the hobby in my teens and early twenties. I kept dipping in and out with buying the occasional white dwarf or just kind of checking out the website, that kind of thing. But Epic Forty Thousand Third Edition passed me by entirely, as did Epic Armageddon. I didn't find out about Epic Armageddon until probably twenty fourteen or something, which at that point obviously it came out in two thousand three, two thousand five, I think, and it's ran its course by then. So yeah, it wasn't until maybe twenty fourteen. I started getting a little nostalgia pang for it again, and I went back and picked up the Epic 40,000 third edition starter box. As I said, the second edition starter box was really good, but the third edition one is incredible. It's it's the amount of miniatures you get in it. You, you only get orcs and marines, but you get a massive variety of stuff with it, and it's like much much more highly detailed models for the most part. A lot of them are just recasts of the originals, but you know there's lots of new stuff in there. So that really get, that really kind of helped me pick up the bug again for it. And at that point, I was thinking, again, not doing any research into it. I just thought, I'll pick up this box set and then I'll maybe see if there's anyone around to play it with. Only then realizing it was a it was another dead edition I'd picked up already um, and there wasn't there wasn't anyone playing it for the most part. So slightly disheartened, but I thought, you know, I'll paint it all up anyway and I'll, I'll just enjoy it myself as a kind of painting challenge or a little bit of a dipping the toe back into the hobby. And then I think it was maybe a year after that, I was looking around on the forums and then got chatting to you and turns out we're in the same, same city. We both played a lot of second edition and you were you'd moved on to net epic at this point which is the the kind of fan continuation of the second edition rule set and including all the kind of additional stuff that was in the Citadel journals and faqs and everything's been kind of tweaked and polished so yeah that that obviously totally totally grabbed me and um, the opportunity to play again was a good draw for me so yeah we we started playing at the local club a few times after that and uh yeah the rest is the rest is history i've been yeah, it became good friends. Yeah. A really nice thing yeah. to come out of Epic, Absolutely. which was particularly through a kind of shared hobby initially. Usually you already know somebody that's into the hobby. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's a, it's a funny one for me because I say I've, I've never really considered myself to be a wargamer or anything like that. I've never engaged with the wargaming community, so it was a totally, totally new experience for me. So I'm glad you were glad you were gentle. <laughs> Always. <laughs> I was. Uh, Although I was, if I do remember, I, yeah, if I do remember, you totally destroyed me in those uh, first few games. So that was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh well, that must have been why I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you were. <laughs> Can we do this again? Can we do this again? <laughs> Brilliant. He's hopeless. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really have that recollection of it, but yeah, I'll take your word for it. Definitely. What about yourself? What was your journey? 
Um, mine's went back a wee bit further than yours, pretty much to the start of Epic. Like I mentioned in other podcasts that Judge Dredd was the first thing that I got into and from a gaming point of view because I was a 2000 AD fan. Discovered the Judge Dredd role-playing game that Games Workshop made because I discovered that. I then got a couple of issues of Red Dwarf, uh, White Dwarf, Red Dwarf, White Dwarf, because at that time they used to do scenarios and stuff for role-playing games. That's how old this was. So this was in the, and at the same time in those episodes, those issues, there was an advertisement for a new game that was coming out called Warhammer 40,000. And um, yeah, we were quite, quite interested in it. We liked this kind of stormtrooper-y looking human kind of characters that they had. Although it was the old beakies back then, for anybody that knows the difference between the Marines. Myself and a couple of friends bought Warhammer 40,000 first edition, the Rogue Trader, and got a couple of miniatures, played Battle at the Farm, which was the scenario that was with it. And then there was, a, I think there was another one or two scenarios that were published in White Dwarf and made a go at them. But it never really, for some reason, I don't really know why. We, we liked it, but we didn't love it. It was fun, but I think part of it was just we didn't, even at that stage for us, just as kind of young teenagers, I think. So it was that about 87 or something, I think that might have been. We didn't really have much disposable income, so we couldn't really, we weren't really in the position to buy loads of miniatures and so on. So I think Judge Dredd kind of dominated for a while after that, uh, role-playing wise, because was, there was little cost involved in that, because a lot of the time I would write more in scenarios and adventures and stuff. Anyway, fast forward to 1989, January 89, it was my birthday, just had money burning a hole in my pocket, went into Glasgow with some friends and was in buying some like graphic novels and stuff. and had a look in Games Workshop because again at that stage it still had like they were still selling I think uh, the miniatures for Judge Dredd and so on so you could there was times I was picking up stuff for that but I was always kind of interested in nosing about and anyway I saw this they used to have like a kind of because it was January my birthday they had sales they had a January sale I don't know if Games Workshop still do this to be honest I'm, I'm not really in enough to, to know these things but certainly at that time they used to have these kind of bargains in a January sale and uh, one of the things that jumped right out at me was Adeptus Titanicus because of the, frankly, the box art. And and so this was the first edition, Adeptus Titanicus. And the art, I was like, wow, that's incredible. Look at these huge war machines. And you can see the, the little land raiders and infantry at their feet. And uh, it was £10, basically, for that. So the whole set, £10. So I was like, okay, give it a bit of go and enjoyed it. Uh, did like it we played i think you get six from memory it was six battle titans that you got in the box and so we used to play three versus three it was fine it was you know fun but it, it, it kind of felt like it was really only a battle between six models if that makes sense which it was really <laughs> i suppose um so there was it never really felt it felt like it promised from the pictures and particularly in the, the kind of box art on the side of the box they had photographs of those I think, was it a Reaver Titan that was on it? I think it may have been the one you're talking about. I could be wrong, maybe it wasn't, but it was certainly there was a picture of a Titan and it showed you pictures of Land Raiders and the Marines, the Space Marines. That was the point where it captured my imagination. It wasn't Adeptus Titanicus itself on its own terms, if you like. It was a promise that this is just the start of something which is much bigger and it's going to be something that is going to allow you to have these huge battle Titans and vehicles and infantry and as as somebody that was really into science fiction and you know as i said 2018 i was into star wars and things like that the idea of having a mass battle just like it really had my imagination going crazy and so i I was waiting that whole summer for space marine to come out first edition space marine and as soon as that happened that yeah that was i was i was totally up for that 
the one thing retrospectively I would say about first edition was it was quite hard to actually complete a game because we I mean, there was scenarios in it where you could probably do it quite quickly. Like those ones where you had to get the rhino from one side of the board to the other alive or something like that. It was a few different missions, but we always tended to go for the kind of death match, as it were, and tried to make the battles as big as we possibly could because like, that was what really fed our imagination. The fact that you could fight these mass battles and it really was an epic scale. So it really captured our imagination the way that in a way that forty thousand hadn't because of the sweep of the game really I suppose is a, a long shot. And I think probably that is something that Epic fans in general I think that probably is the number one reason for wanting to play it because it's the scale of it and it's the, the fact that you've got buildings getting destroyed, you've got infantry and vehicles and and you get your cavalry and you're get you just get basically get every type of force that you can possibly or variation within your force that you can possibly think of. But yeah, it became a bit of a problem laterally in first edition because what we were finding when we were doing these death matches because we were doing them fairly large scale was that it was it was impossible to do it in across an afternoon. Yeah, we would play pretty much six hours, two days in a row. In this, and there was times it did, still didn't finish because it was just um, possibly because we were young and we were slower. I don't know. I don't think that was necessarily the case. I think it was much more to do with the fact that back then in first edition, there was a lot of things that were really, really quite, uh, what's the word I'm looking yeah, for? it's kind of crunchy, isn't it? That's what, yeah. That's what the gamers call it. It's lots of, lots of chits, lots of stats, lots of tables, charts, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, all the vehicles had to be damaged first and then destroyed from memory. It was like they had superficial damage then destroyed. So all the vehicles were, you know, it's laterally with second edition, they, they stripped out a lot of that and it made the game much more manageable. But yeah, there, there was other things like, for example, the, the one that sticks in my head the most was the Land Raiders because they had the las cans on the side. It was like the kind of fire arc was... You could fire the one in the left 180 degrees mm-hmm. and then the same in the, the right side. So what was happening a lot, and I think this was part of the reason why it took us ages, was because we were all trying to get our land raiders absolutely perfect, that they could face directly onto a target. You know what I mean? There was too much time going into that to make sure that, right, so it's dead on so we can fire both weapon, both LAS cannon. It's a really stupid thing. But it, it didn't bother us at the time. It just was part of the game. That's the way it was. But I do remember thinking when 2nd edition came out and the Land Raiders were suddenly 180 forward rather than having been able to fire behind them, which they were able to do before. I thought that was really bizarre. <laughs> but in actual fact, it was, it was like a godsend because it was so annoying <laughs> trying to just get them just right yeah. to fire at that particular infantry unit or that particular tank. And that's, I think that's a, it's a bit of a funny one. It's a, it's a good example, but I think when you see the design of a land raider, you know, up close, its weapon sponsons can't possibly fire like both of them at the same target if it's directly in front of them, unless you do line it perfectly up. And it's just one of those things. But mm. there has to be some kind of le- level of abstraction granted to it, because I guess the idea is that you're not putting that that, that model is not stopping and then you know twitching itself into position a dozen times to get the perfect shot off it's probably moving 20 meters mm. when it's stationary on the table it's actually doing a little jiggle around the table and, and doing all that kind of stuff but you're you're trying to you're trying to kind of convey that as streamlined as possible i think i think the way that second edition does that is, is by just saying yeah i can fire anything in because the assumption is it'll make its own movements and you know you fire one off and then turn a bit and fire the other or something i don't know yeah but it was Yes, so that went on for a few years, and as I say, it became increasingly difficult trying to convince friends to to do it. So it was it was pretty much me and just one other friend at the time. By the end of it, my brother would play as well, and so yeah. But then when second edition came along, 
that was a couple of years later. I think that was I think it was ninety one from memory. It was either ninety or ninety one. I think it was ninety one. I got that straight away, and I think when I went, I think when I first bought it, I think I was watching. I was in Games Workshop in Glasgow again, which at that time was in Queen Street, and um, I was watching one of the guys was playing it, and I was kind of just asking questions from the sideline. I had picked it up, obviously, anyway. And then when I was seeing how infantry wasn't getting saves and how there was no superficial damage to the tanks and it just seemed really lethal it seems like it was like what did what are they doing why have they done this and i remember as well thinking when i read the rules and i was wrong by the way before before i say this but i do remember when i read the rules i was like they've just like totally dumbed this down they've taken all the kind of you know, detail out of this. <laughs> and the, the thing that's ironic about that, of course, as you know, is, um, you know, people who have played subsequent editions of Epic say that the second edition's really crunchy. Well, it had mm-hmm. nothing in first, really. <laughs> it's, it has been streamlined down massively. Yeah, as I say, I just couldn't believe how lethal it was. And I kind of thought, oh man, they've, they've just stripped out the whole thing. But having said that, once we started playing it, I think it was probably by, it might well have even been the first game that we played it, it was like a revelation because suddenly instead of having these sessions that were running an entire weekend we could actually run a battle in an afternoon and it just seemed that seemed brilliant to us it was like well look they have actually made this so much better and it really really worked and it meant as well that we you know we had we had decent armies at that stage because i don't mean in terms of the blister packs and stuff because obviously that was where a lot of the kind of special units were we didn't really have a lot of the lead stuff but what we did have was at that time battle titans box set that you mentioned that your brother had we mm-hmm. got that so we had i think we had i don't know where they've all gone but anyway i think i've got about six of them left but i definitely had six from adeptus titanicus and I had another six from that battle titans box and we had obviously stacks of land raiders and tactical marines and orc boys battle wagons elder grav tanks the old versions which are still still what i use and guardians pretty much and i think it was round about the time when second edition came out that that's when they introduced all the armies of the imperium was the first one that came out which had the imperial guard and had the marine the space marines and that was yeah that was a, that was a really good supplement i really liked that and i was i think my only disappointment about armies of the imperium was i wanted the eldar in there straight away but i mean it wasn't that long after it was 92 renegades came out which had chaos and eldar and so, yeah, I, had, I at least had a decent Marine force and a decent Eldar force. And at that, uh, yeah, sorry, at that stage, I think that's when they were bringing out, bringing out the kind of boxes of um, more kind of specialist. Specialist is probably going too far, but <laughs> there was it was a Space Marine box and it was like you get a sprue or several sprues and it, it had went from it just being all tactical bog standard marines to having, it had the tactical ones still in it, but they were redesigned plus they had the Devastator guys, the missile launchers, and they had assault troops in them. And I think at that stage, that's when the bikes were in those as well. That's where they came from. Yeah, they had bikes, land speeders, all that yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was a box set that I, I snapped up pretty quickly. And basically, all as the released things get released, I got the Imperial Guard version, and then once Renegades was out, I had bought the Chaos box set and the Eldar one. Set, and then again, and later on in '92 when the Orc and Squat Warlords came out. I then picked up the box sets for those as well. So later on, they then reduced the size of those. I think they pretty much made them half the size, although they only dropped the price about 
a quarter or something like that. I remember that was a bone of contention yeah. amongst us. <laughs> amongst us all of it. Oh, we're getting we're paying they're charging us more for half the amount or, or sorry, not as much, but like they should have cut the price in half is what our argument was basically. And they were they were already ripping us off. This long before the prices probably really did get out of control. <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, we we were always moaning about how Games Workshop were trying to get one over us and and also about how there was some really cool units that were only in blister packs and we couldn't get them and because we yeah. couldn't afford it because we were just teenagers. But those plastic box sets were great because it, it, it did mean you had a decent army mm-hmm. and a decent variety of things that you could play and really enjoy second edition without having we always did want the lead stuff. We would there was always units in there that we that we um, really wanted. I remember for example the Tempest been a good example i used to always i've always loved tempest in second edition for my older force and um yeah at the time all we did was painted grav tanks different a different color scheme to you know differentiate between them. yeah we did we did a lot of that with um with the marine vehicles as well because once you've got the rhino obviously you can do do whatever you want with it you can stick bits to it you can use orc battle wagon um turrets and turn them into predators and you can do we had bits that we had the kind of single lego blocks mounted in the back to represent whirlwinds and stuff so yeah it's funny funny what um what having no pocket money will drive you to <laughs> but in fairness i still do that sort of stuff today with conversions so. <laughs> well i mean I, um I, I think that's a great thing i mean i'm I've never really had the imagination for that side of things, to be honest. I, I, I've just never really been that good in the modeling side or the, the painting side. That's another thing I should probably worth mentioning, was that I had no interest whatsoever really in painting the stuff. I didn't I didn't like doing it and I all I wanted to do was play the game. It was that was but it was that was my first consideration and my last consideration. So for a long time a lot of my armies were completely unpainted. In fact I only got to play in games workshop and I, I knew I wanted to get a game in there and I get this horrible red spray paint which had a kind of glossy finish. It was just spray painted all red um, because that was the kind of Blood Angels was the colour scheme. And um, I think I painted the black, the, the, the tracks black and that was about it really. That was my concession to, to painting, but it was it was a pretty bad job. And it was certainly remarked upon when I, when I went in the Games Workshop, but it was, uh, <laughs> what's this, the Blotch, Marine, the Blotch Marines, I think the guy called it. And uh yeah, I was quite annoyed about that because I, I thought, well, oh, I painted the damn things. I've, I've played yeah, it. It's, uh, it's fairly, fairly crushing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what was even more crushing was when we actually played that day, it was, uh, I think it was only a 2,000 point game, Marines versus Eldar. And it literally came down, I think it went on for about four turns because it was on an 8 by 4 board. And then, so that, that meant there was a lot of movement going on. It was actually quite a good, it was a really good fun game. But it was really close all the way through. And it was one sorry, it was one of the guys in the shop that I was playing. And it came down to he had done enough that we knew he'd just scraped over the threshold of like or it was exactly on the threshold for victory. Um so we knew he'd definitely at least drawn and I was close to it, that must have been what it was. But basically the, what did it was he fired a he'd done his psychic attacks with his his, his elder warlock and hadn't done anything and his last roll of the dice was he was lo- he was losing at this stage that's what it was and his last throw of the dice was to roll um with the pistols with the with a warlock against um my land raider so he rolled he rolled a, a five so he hit and then all i had to do was roll two plus and i rolled a one and it destroyed it and i think i lost the objective <laughs> and he won the game 
and the, the other the other guys in the shop were going, no way, no way. <laughs> they were they were all raging because they were they were kind of rooting for me. So yeah, that that's still a, a defeat. That, uh, yeah, it's clearly clearly etched in the yeah in the mind. exactly. I mean that must have been about thirty years ago or something. Aye, nineteen ninety one armies in Peening came out. That's that's scary when you start talking about thirty years ago. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so it's funny. Sometimes epic. There's certain games do just stick in the memory, and that definitely yeah. is the biggest. Was an interesting, interesting one actually. I heard the other day was you never remember your victories; you always remember your defeats. I think that's <laughs> quite true. Actually, with wargaming, I think I can I can just about remember all my defeats, but the victories are kind of yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but there's sometimes the game spits out things that are really kind of unique. Yeah, it's kind of an emerging narrative, I guess, isn't it? It's the yeah. It's a much, much more pulled back camera view of the battle from the kind of almost role playing style of like Rogue Trader and stuff, but you still get these narrative moments out of a game like that. Yeah. And another, another moment like that that kind of stuck in my head was um, my nephew, that's must have been about 10 years ago, was playing him at Epic. And um, he uh, he shot, he hit my Titan with whatever it was. I can't remember what it was, shot my Titan, but basically it rolled, it hit the weapon, it had like the. Was carrying a, a volcano cannon or something like that, or a crate cannon. Anyway, it had that and it blew the arm off of it, and then it basically crushed the way it landed. It crushed infantry in a, a vehicle and destroyed a vehicle. He absolutely loved that. He was just like, that was, <laughs> that was suddenly like, oh, that was amazing. That was such a cool thing. So yeah, that's one of the things I've always liked about second edition. Sometimes there are kind of strange things that happen in it. Not that often, really. Uh, which is, you know, not a bad thing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a funny one because I, I remember the, the iconic kind of battle report from, from Second Edition when they, when they did the bloody Joe Studio Army versus the Alatok Eldar. That was one of the ones they, they had the they had, they had the reactor meltdown of the Warlord Titan and they had the kind of spray foam um, insulation all painted up to, to make it look like a nuclear meltdown. Um, and that looked really cool. And I remember playing it originally as a kid and that happened, not every game, but you know, every time that warlord blew up, it had a. I think we must have rolled sixes and get reactor meltdowns and took out half the table, and that was a regular occurrence. And I think in every game we've played, I don't think it's happened yet, which is really weird. Well, the reason it's not happened is we took off the. Um, I think first of all, NetEpic either fixed. I don't think it did actually. That's right. They made it harder to hit the reactor, didn't they? They've changed it. You can't hit it from the front now, or something. Is that it? I think it's a house rule. Actually, we've got that. We don't. Mm. We, we just said this is garbage because basically you just hit the reactor and that thing blows apart quite easily. And I think we agreed yeah. because of the fact that the the reaver doesn't have it in that location and never has done, and neither does the warhound. The reactors are in the back, so it just seemed like there was no incentive to take warlords because the warlord was just basically asking to be shot in the reactor and went down too easily. So it was. Yeah. I think that is actually a house rule that we've we've adopted. Okay. So that's uh, uh, it. Just shows how much you've analysed the game more than I did. <laughs> I used to just play it. Just play it. I agree with you though. They went, used to go down with alarming regularity. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, second edition was um, was a lot of fun, and it was uh, I played a lot of games of second edition, and then it just I think really by the time Orc and Squat Warlords came out at that stage, that's when I started going clubbing and going to gigs and things, and so there was competing things for my money, and I really didn't have the time really, and more friends were less interested, put it that way, than playing any games. So yeah, I had a bit of a hiatus really. I think. I was already out of it by the time even Hive War came out uh, with the Tyranids, which I did know about and I was aware of and kind of liked the idea of it as somebody that was a fan of, um, you know, like say Aliens and all that stuff. I think that was pre-Starship Troopers. I feel like that came out maybe a couple of years after that. I can't remember, but yeah, yeah, I missed out in Hive, Hive War. 
And yeah, definitely by the time Titan Legions came out, I'd missed that as well. So I, I knew of it again, and I'd, I'd seen the Imperator Titan. My initial feeling was that it was putting more emphasis, obviously, as the name would imply, onto the Titans. And I like to balance with second edition, so I wasn't really that keen at investing in it. And as I say, it was more just to do with financial pressure. So I've got nothing bad to say about it. I don't really, I've just never really used that. I've always kind of been very much, my army lists are very much that kind of period of armies and Imperium renegades and Orc and Squat warlords. And that's just where my collection's always really been. So yeah, I dropped out for probably about the best part of 10 years. Occasionally, we'd be myself and one or two of my friends or my brother or whatever, we'd play, you know, we didn't not play. It was just more a case of it was, you know, maybe every couple of months we'll dig it out and have a go at it. So, but by and large, I wasn't involved with Epic so much. I, I did see an early version. I remember in the late, I'm sure it was the late 90s, um, an early version of Net Epic. Uh, one of my pals had discovered this on the internet and uh, downloaded the rules. And yeah, we really liked that. That gave us a bit of a resurgence with it because we felt one of the things that was a big problem in second edition was the initiative system where, for them that doesn't know it, it basically is both both sides roll the dice, whoever gets the highest wins initiative, and they can pick whether they move first or second. And particularly in the first turn, it seemed to be that everything hinged upon who won the initiative because yeah. you basically, if you lost it, you had to move all your opponent if they were smart would make you move first and then what you would inevitably find would be that the kind of specialist troops they would be able to jump all your any ones that were kind of exposed tanks the kind of basic infantry like tacticals or boys or something like that you would if you had the elder that was and again that was a favorite for myself and other regular opponents everybody wanted to have the elder so pretty much every game we played pretty much at that time had elder in it because we loved the striking scorpions and the howling banshees and the dark reapers so they were great at these kind of individual things we, we didn't at that stage we didn't really use a lot of tacticals or guardians or whatever because we realized that the worth really of these kind of specialist infantry units so that was a big problem with second edition was that that thing where whoever lost the initiative knew we were going to, they were going to get jumped pretty much they had to leave stuff there would be stuff that would be exposed unless they, they just sat at the back end of the table and then Really, when the Epic came out and changed that about, where they, it then became whoever won initiative could decide whether they moved one unit first or second, and then you alternated between the two. That was like that was really amazing and, and making the game a lot better. And to this day, I, I try and say to second edition players they should try the Epic because that alone just made it so much better and it made it gave it so much more balance because it meant both sides were getting stuff jumped because you're, there's a bit of ebb and flow between the two sides moving individual units and so i would never go back to second edition for that particular you know, just for that reason alone but there's a lot of stuff in the epic which has fixed one or two things some particularly a couple of the costings the, the wind rider host in particular was one that really stuck out to me we used to always buy two wind rider hosts for our elder because it was so cheap and you get like 35 bytes for it for something like 650 points or something so we used to have like just ridiculous amounts of bikes on the <laughs> on the battlefields <laughs> and uh so that was a that was a good fix and one or two other good fixes like the praetorians for example were pretty brittle in second edition it was a one plus save and if you failed it the things destroyed but then they brought in the the uh, hit location charts basically for the praetorians which for the most part which i thought was a good move because it kind of meant they weren't quite as brittle. On the flip side, though, the Praetorians are pretty strong, particularly the, the squat ones, mm -hmm. almost to the point where would you really want a Warlord Titan against one of them? I'm not sure you would, you know, and they're about 400 points more. So I don't know. Maybe they should have 
introduced the locations and possibly tweaked them up a wee bit further in the costings. But overall, I would say that I was really pleased with the Epic and it was just like, once I'd got into that, there was no real going back. So yeah, that NetEpic ended up being where I ended up and I had also missed some of the other editions which came out, which you'd alluded to, obviously third edition in 1997. I don't think I've even seen the rules for third edition, but I know you're keen. Is this something we've been talking about recently? I am, yeah. I mean, I can jump in there on that one. It's it's one of those ones, that when I first saw the preview for the rules and I saw the unit detachment cards and the way you build your army, it, again, overwhelmed my child brain at the time. <laughs> Just, <laughs> again, moving from that really simple system of having all your detachments, you know, on a card that you could sit in your, when you're not, in your, in your kind of downtime when you're not playing the game, building up lists just by grabbing cards out the box and laying them out in the carpet and doing all that kind of stuff. That was that was a big part of the game for me, mm. was that kind of meta game of, almost of, of building army lists and just looking at the different units and, and imagining it, being a poor child with no money to actually afford to buy the models. So when I saw this, um, effectively, you just get a blank notepad and you're just told to go wild with Epic 40,000. It just I just couldn't get it into my head. I just couldn't work it out. And then I started seeing examples of units that were different sizes to the ones that were in second edition. And then the blisters being released started coming in with like four tanks and a blister when it used to be three. And again, that that kind of put me off it thinking at first, I just thought this is some sort of shameless cash grab. There was a, there was a whole strip basis thing as well, which I didn't appreciate was not a requirement, but it was more of an aesthetic thing because you can display the models better. You can paint them on the base. But to my mind, it was they were trying to force everyone to ditch all their old models and, and buy everything fresh again. Mm. And it, the cynic, the, the cynic in me at 12 or 13 years old or whatever it was, was just like, nah, I'm, I'm not, not having this. And again, like I say, it was a natural stopping point. But weirdly, it's one of those ones that as I've now matured and wizened in my age, I've came back and had a look at it. And the rule book is actually, it's the opposite. It's further abstracted on second edition. So the rule book I've got in my hand at the moment, it's, it's 40, 48 pages long, A5, most of its pictures, it's dead simple it's i think it's based on a kind of modern combat or a, or a world war ii mass combat system it's not chain of command but something like that and it's really flexible like they cannot your detachments are no longer you know six stands of devastator marines in a detachment it's now you can put whatever you want in a detachment you can mix up dreadnoughts and tactical marines and devastators and tanks and whatever and have them all and they basically become like in a blob and that blob has a kind of firepower rating associated with it, right. depending on what units are in it. And I think it kind of moves as fast as the slowest unit and that kind of thing. So you're encouraged, obviously, to keep, you know, bikes together and, and kind of tactical troops together and, and that kind of thing. But you're not restricted to do that. So you can effectively build up your own army with just the models you have mm -hmm. and play with anything. So you're not restricted anymore by the, you know, I've only got two tanks i've only got two predators i can't use them which used to be a thing especially as we used to do bargain bin diving in games workshop too you often came out with odd vehicles that couldn't quite put together an old second edition formation out of so that's actually really appealing to me now and just the way it works the activation system's a bit more modern as well i mean it's, it came out in 1987 but it's much similar to kind of modern activation systems we play where it's not quite an i go you go there's you roll initiative a lot more often for it and you put chits into a bag so the player with the higher strategy rating 
has more chips in the bag to pull than the player with a lower strategy rating to kind of simulate that they get to move more often or they've got more chance of moving more often kind of thing so it does lots of clever stuff and things like flyers and it work better they're not an actual unit on the table anymore they're a kind of resource that you call in and they, they kind of do a strafing run and then fly off the board and they don't, they don't stick about and do this kind of weird zigzag thing like a fly on a window where they're trying to you know stay on the board it just streamlines everything it seems and it, and it also allows you to play much bigger battles with kind of all the toys on the table and still play them in a kind of reasonable time is what I gather from. Now, this is all coming from no place of reference other than just what I've read about it, because as a voice on the internet, that makes me an authority on it, but I've never <laughs> actually played it. <laughs> so it's something I'm really keen on trying, though. And I think it's probably one that I would I could see myself playing a lot more of. The only thing, I think the thing that annoyed a lot of people about it was the epic second edition got to the stage where there was you know hundreds of units per force and even when i look at my collection now because my, my collection similar to yours is mostly based on that second edition era with a few you know a few odd units thrown in from the from the later releases now and some proxies and, and third party stuff but for the most part i've went on the nostalgia wagon and tried to collect everything from second edition that i didn't have as a kid and stuff that i did have as a kid and even now having been back in the hobby for six seven years and spending a fair chunk of cash on it i'm still nowhere near collected everything for all the armies um, and i don't think I ever will I'm, I'm not i'm not aiming for that but at the same time it just shows you how much there was in second edition mm. So when it came to third edition, each army list or each each list of available units is stripped down to maybe like for the Space Marines, for example, they've maybe got like 30 types of unit now, as opposed to, I don't know how many would have been in second, maybe closer to like 60, something like that. Effectively, I guess that's a bad example because Marines never had that massive variety of units. But when you think about orcs, yeah, when you think about all the orc vehicles you had lung busters gut rippers bone crunchers brain crushes gob smashers all those kind of things <laughs> they've all been abstracted down to just like a battle wagon now yeah um, so there's no there's no variety and i think that's the biggest complaint people have is the perception that it, it lost that flavor that you no longer had these weird rules for the orc stuff um, as an example there was none of this you know rolling an artillery dice to see if it misfired and then putting down a template and then seeing if it scatters or all that kind of thing that was inherently kind of orky that, that made the orcs flavorful is effectively just gambling on the table all, all that was lost and the orcs just got a firepower rating in the same way that a big blob of marines got a firepower rating i think that probably put a lot of people off but again that that does kind of appeal to me because it's something that i didn't play a lot of orcs as a kid we only had a small force of them and we didn't have much of the weirder stuff but now i'm really keen on it i've got a big orc army i've spent a lot of money building a massive orc collection but i've never played them but at the same time when i look through the rules of them i just think some of the stuff just sounds like an absolute faff <laughs> some of it sounds like so much it's well first of all it's a massive gamble to even take it and use it and second of all just remembering how how it works is going to be a lot of you know rule checking for me and I'm, you know I'm glad I'll have you by my side to keep me right because I know you've played them a lot, but it's it's one of those ones that's it just it just doesn't it doesn't appeal to me massively. I don't know if I'm just getting lazier in my old age. I just want things to be streamlined. <laughs> no, and I think that's what Epic Forty Thousand does. It's fair common. Yeah. I mean, um sorry to name drop here and all that, but mm-hmm. I did actually mention this to, to Andy Chambers when he was on talking to me about Judge Dredd. Uh, afterwards I said that we you'd be, you were really keen in playing third edition and um he said basically it just wasn't the right time for it but he think he stands by that it's a really good version of, of epic and certainly according to the uh, the wiki for it as well <laughs> apparently both jervis and andy maintain it was the best set of rules that they ever conceived yeah, yeah but i think he said there was you know 
I think he admitted that there was a lot of um, special rules, particularly for Orcs, that every, it was like every unit pretty much was getting special rules in second edition. And um, yeah, it, it probably could have done a wee bit less of that, but people just weren't ready for that going from pretty much all units having special rules and, and quirks and all that kind of thing to this more abstract way of playing. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the idea that we're going to play this at, at some point <laughs> once this pandemic's over. So yeah. I'm really curious to see to see how it goes because the fact that he thinks it's a lot better than it makes me think, yeah, we should definitely give this a try and give it a go and see where it takes us and, you know, see if we do actually find it more fun. Mm-hmm which I'm hoping, you know, because it's not that I don't enjoy Epic in the first place, because I do, because um, but I'm always, I'm kind of open to the idea of trying other things. Yeah, it's good to, you know, be able to use your same collection and be familiar to you. It's not, it's not hopefully a, a total jump into the deep end kind of experience, but, but yeah, I, th- I think it's probably, it's probably akin to the way people felt the way you described earlier feeling when moving from first edition to second edition was that initial kind of trepidation about it and it probably i can see why it would have put a lot of people off initially and i think i think there is some stuff i mean it's been fixed later on it almost feels like i don't know if it was this is maybe something we could chat andy on about next time you have a have a cup of tea with him but <laughs> it's one of, one of the things it feels like it was almost released as a kind of concise product there wasn't as much i, th- I think things like the the actual armies there there wasn't i don't think squats were in it initially i don't know if that's maybe just the timeline of the universe the squats have maybe even wiped out at this point and um, if they were trying to keep it to that it was it seemed to be very much a partner product to 40k mm. which was going into maybe third edition or just about to go into third edition at that stage and it felt like a partner product to that the idea was that you could recreate your 40k armies as detachments in um, epic 40,000 and effectively play out an entire game of 40k in a single turn in Epic 40k, and you could have multiple versions of that. And I think it also tied in with Battlefleet Gothic, which was coming out at the same time. Mm-hmm. Very similar order systems, and, and the idea was you could do this kind of overarching campaign, the kind of thing we've always talked about doing with like the Star Wars universe, with X-wing and um, Legion and and whatever else. Where you can have these kind of you can have a single campaign that covers all three game systems. And I think it was that. F- one of the kind of first attempts at Games Workshop maybe did it, trying to pull all that together and it maybe just didn't quite hit the mark or maybe a little bit of ahead of its time. But yeah, it certainly seems like that that's what it was geared up for. But then similar to Lights in the Epic, it was continued along by the fans and by Games Workshop as well. They released, um, I think it was Firepower Magazine, which is like a, a kind of supplement for it, which then introduced army lists for things like the Squats and the Tau, the Gene Steeler Cults and all that kind of stuff. So they, they did support it. A little bit beyond its its original life, but it, it felt like the actual main release was almost designed to be a kind of concise standalone product. And like I say, that that starter box is so good, you could just play with that. That's, you could pick that up and, and never buy anything new for it if you if you really wanted to. But yeah, it, it's an interesting one to look back on and to see what other games have pulled from it. And I think that's again where they they kind of went into fourth edition or Epic Armageddon a good, a good number of years later, mm-hmm. took elements of that and, and kind of refined it further i think one of the things i think one of the criticisms of third edition that people have is that you know that things like titans don't feel as beefy as they should because again they're abstracted down to just a kind of damage rating or hit points or whatever versus having the the same kind of flavor i guess as second edition but again that's something that's been fixed in kind of supplements and i think they even did was it adeptus, adeptus titanicus 2 mm-hmm. was a supplement for epic 40,000 which was kind of released just as a as a kind of rule sheet for it to allow you to play Titans with a bit more flavor. So yeah, it's something I'm really keen on and trying out. 
No, we'll, we'll definitely do it. I'm quite excited to do that. Obviously, the way things are at the moment, just getting a game of Epic will be... A, <laughs> Anything. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, obviously, I've got... You've probably maybe seen in the, the internet, I've got a game coming up online against John Webbs on the Crown of Command. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I've been working on my, my squad army list and uh, <laughs> writing an article about it. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Yeah. Because it's kind of, kind of following the same thing that you used to see in the White Dwarfs magazines for second edition, where it's um, Andy himself and Jervis and Gav Thorpe as well, I'm sure, was involved in some of them, where they wrote out these battle reports. So they would pick all their forces and explain their choices and all that stuff. And then yeah, yeah. there was a, the actual battle report and then there was the actual fallout. So I, I, I'm actually yeah quite excited to be part of that, especially because what Josh is doing over in the Crown of Command is really exciting and it's, mm-hmm. it's so uh, authentic to that 90s period, which... Oh, the, the the hero hammer easing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's really well done. Look it up if you haven't already. Yeah, um, it's listening. Yeah, it's, it's it's the production values are fantastic mm-hmm. on it. Mm-hmm. I think really pretty much what we are seeing at the moment as well about looking back in our history of it. You know, obviously that nineties was the kind of golden period for yeah, epic. Absolutely. And, and so yeah, it's great to see people still. We're not the only people that feel passionate about that. So that's it's, it's kind of it's a bit of a tragedy really because. Obviously, the there seems to be a massive resurgence in it at the moment because of people in lockdown that are kind of trawling through their nostalgia and, and picking it back up again. But they're kind of picking it back up at a bad time when they can't potentially play it with anyone. But it does seem to be having a, a bit of a resurgence, um, which is good to see. I'm hoping, though, that people are just painting their armies just now. And as soon as the lockdown's over, they are going to meet up like like we're going yeah. to, you know, we're going to do that. Definitely, yeah. yeah and then get a few games, so... Yeah, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what what happens with third edition or our experience what that is. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I suppose we should move on then to Epic Armageddon, which is which is a fourth edition. Yep. Which I have had a little bit of experience of, not massively. I wouldn't say there is something about the rules that I just don't quite get. I don't know what it is. I have played a few games, but there's something to do with the. I think it was something to do with the crossfire thing. I just couldn't get my head around it. And I, I don't know why I'm just being thick, I think, is uh, <laughs> the long and short of it. <laughs> but I did like a lot about it. Yeah. I loved the, obviously I've missed out in third edition, which I'm assuming is something similar with the turn sequence where you're activating straight off and you're moving and firing all in the one activation. Uh, whereas with second edition, it was you moved your units, then you had the first fire phase, then you had close combat, then advanced fire phase. Whereas this is all like, as soon as you move and engage, you, you resolve the combat as well. And that to me was a bit of a revelation. I thought that was, it just made it much more, I don't know, it just made it feel like there was stuff happening all the time. I always felt with the movement phase, you were kind of waiting for first fire and close combat and advance that the movement phase was a bit, you know, kind of dancing around the edges and not really getting on with the action. So I was really excited by that with Epic Armageddon, which is why I ended up trying to port it to a certain degree into sec- well, into the Epic, where I basically did the same thing where it's like you activated it's my evolution video. It's actually one of the most popular videos on my channel. There's loads of people watch that and I'm quite surprised at it. Yeah. But yeah, we played you and I pretty much played that, but that really was because I enjoyed that activation system so much in fourth edition. I don't know if you did many games of Epic Armageddon yourself or, or no. No, I never played it. I didn't even know about it until I got back into stuff in twenty fourteen ish. So but yeah, I've since looked into it and yeah, again it's it's not massively grabbed me. I th- one of my kind of favourite gaming YouTubers, um Ash Barker, who does Grilla Miniature Games, he did a little bit of a series on it, Throwback Thursdays thing where we played like three games of it and that's the first time i've actually sat down and watched it and kind of followed the rules and, and got into it 
but it still just doesn't have that appeal to me. It's really abstracted again, a bit like third edition. Stuff can kind of, if, if you put things on charge or, or, or march, I think it is, they, they can move like triple and you can effectively have stuff in your opponent's deployment zone and on turn, that kind of thing, which is maybe good because it maybe gives gives you a bit more maneuverability, which I think second edition could suffer from because with a lot of stuff maybe moving 10, 20 centimeters on a 6x4 board, you could almost lose the game in deployment. Um, if you deployed poorly, you'd maybe have no chance of getting stuff up the board. Things I liked about the look of um, Armageddon was that it's not straight objectives. It's not just sit on this you know spot and, and claim the objective. There was different things to do. You had to do it's, um, it's, what is it, break their spirit, which is to sp- destroy the kind of most expensive model or, or unit mm. of your opponents. You had to take and hold stuff in your half and their half. And then there was the... I can't remember if it's line breaker or whatever we effectively have to get into their deployment zone and claim that so it was quite interesting but it also seems massively geared up for that kind of tournament scene which i've never been into hmm. so when i when at any time i've been reading about it it seems to be that the conversations are very kind of min max heavy and there are lots of discussion about optimizing things and it, it just doesn't seem to have that same kind of narrative appeal to me potentially so I think that's one of the off-putting things. The other thing is the kind of list building again. It's still quite restricted, although it does make me think that you know the list can be a bit more thematic. So there's a lot more. There's a lot of fan supplements and a lot. There's a whole kind of net epic Armageddon movement as well, keeping it fresh and and adding stuff from the kind of current lore or from or from the kind of Horus Heresy lists and and stuff like that to keep it updated. So there probably is a bit more room for flavor. But just with the initial, when you buy the if you buy the rule book, you get orcs and marines and imperial guard because the battle for armageddon so you get those lists and it's just it just felt quite limited in, in what you could take so yeah that, that didn't didn't massively appeal to me i wouldn't mind giving it a try if it truly does combine the best of second edition and third edition then i'd be open to giving it a try but just just from what i've seen it it just doesn't grab me in the same way it feels too kind of it feels too much like a, a board game if that makes sense rather than a war game these are just their personal opinions for them that it's an epic Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, of course. Again, I've got no, um, I've got no authority to say any of this. And it could just be the way I've, the way I've interpreted it. But, and I, I'm not criticizing because I love board games. I would, I would happily play it as a board game if it was, and if it was an excuse to get, you know, that same collection of models out and get them on a the table and play a different type of game. I'm totally open to it. But I think, I think what I want from Epic is that kind of mass battles feel and that, and that kind of commanding a, a massive army kind of feeling whereas i believe that epic armageddon again doesn't scale massively i think three thousand points is the kind of is the kind of tournament size and the idea is that if you go beyond that it becomes quite cumbersome they've got a rule set called minigeddon which is designed for i think it's like 1500 points which is meant to be really really fun to play and you can kind of play that in a couple of hours and have a great time but again at that point you're playing with maybe 20 or 30 models in the table and I just think that's not much different from playing a game of 40k or, or, or boat action or something. So it's not got that same feeling to me as as, as something like Epic 2nd Edition or 3rd or Edition, potentially. But what I would say in its defence is that I would say that, that, to me, from what I see online, is that the tournament seems fairly vibrant. Mm-hmm. And it seems that, from what I can gather, it seems to me most people are playing Epic Armageddon, I would say, more than yeah. in 2nd Edition. Yeah, something. I mean, something. If 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 we hadn't started playing second edition at that point, I was kind of open to different rule sets and 
if I discovered that there was a kind of Glasgow scene for which, which I think there actually is. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, we hosted the hosted the World Championships in the last couple of years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd have probably got into it, and I, I and I dare say, like, I would I would give it a go. I would definitely give it a go, and I'd be I'd be interested to see see how it plays out. No, definitely. I, I mean, I think for me personally, it's just because. I think it's to do with the nostalgia aspect. I think mm-hmm. I think part as well is to do with because I, I knew I played so many games of Epic that I still know a lot of the unit stats, whether that's their close assault factor, their weapons, their movement, all these things. I, I still know all this stuff. So it's like there is a part, it's just familiarity as well. I know what you're saying about it's quite overwhelming because there are still, when we have games, if I'm, there's units I don't use that often. Sorry, one of the things I should have probably mentioned is you and I, and well, I think you did say it yourself, but I didn't, was that back in the 90s I only had these kind of plastic, the, the basic sets, but once I get back into it, I think from about 2005 onwards, I think, I started trolling eBay and, and basically filling up my collection with the stuff that I, I always wanted but never had. Um, so I've got my armies to a stage where the, well, the, the forces that I have, I don't have things like Tau. The ones that I do have... I've got really large forces and I think I've got the, the vast majority of units and if there's units I don't have, they tend to be ones I don't particularly want in the first place. So I'm quite happy with my collection. I kind of feel like it is done. I, got, I did pick up a few extra pieces last year from Peter Ramos, who is also his co-creator on Imperius Dominatus. He was selling off some of this legendary Primark load and I got a, a little corner of his collection. So that kind of filled a lot of the gaps that I had left over that I was bothered about, or not bothered about, but I kind of wanted them just <laughs> because I had mostly everything else. Yeah. You know, I, for example, I've got the, I finally got the Imperator and I've got two Mega Gargants. Mm-hmm. Am I actually going to use them in games? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really think so because um, I still have that thing about that classic period yeah. where I never moved on, where it was even before Titan Legions, you know. No, I'm, I'm the same. I, I see, I appreciate like a lot of the stuff that came afterwards, like for the, for Epic 40k and for Epic Armageddon and then the kind of Forge World stuff and all that. I, I totally appreciate that the sculpts are better and, you know, for the most part, I think, I think some people say it went downhill for, for parts of it. Anyway, I just don't have the nostalgia for it, so I've never went for it in the same way. Mm. But yeah, if you show me something from, from second edition I don't have, I would probably you know bite your arm off for it especially something i didn't have as a kid mm. so yeah it, it's it's a funny one the kind of nostalgia factor definitely plays a, a huge part in it yeah so i think that pretty much brings us up to date imperious dominatus is the latest one that's coming out hopefully i'm going to have a conversation at some point with, with peter and david that are responsible for it so watch the space so yeah th- that's the kind of next thing that's still an ongoing project Clearly, you and I are going to have a couple of games on third edition. Give that a go. My brother's talked about playing Epic again once this is over, so I'd imagine I'll still be doing second edition with him and flipping over to third edition. So it'll be quite interesting to see. Not that I don't know what second edition is anyway, but <laughs> sorry, I should say net Epic. <laughs> but yeah, it will be interesting playing the different systems against each other. So far as, yeah, we've been a bit remiss in dealing with Epic up until now on this podcast because it is. Is it fair to say it's our favourite game for both of us? I don't know. Yeah, it is my war game. It's, it's the only one I ever played as a, as a kid, really. I think I, I said earlier, dabbled with a little bit of like Necromunda and 40k, but it was just buying miniatures. Epic was the only thing I ever actually sat down and learned the rules for. And even then, it turns out I didn't do a, do a great job of that. But <laughs> no, it's definitely the one that's most ingrained yeah. in, my, in, my, in my psyche. Yeah. For me too. I mean, I, I did 
dabble a little bit with the Space Fleet and then I did the White Dwarf rules, which I think was a, it kind of made it more like a proper detailed game. I don't know how close it was to Battlefield Gothic, but Mm, no, it was a bit more chip heavy, I think, cardboard heavy. But yeah. Aye, that was fine. I kind of dabbled in that, a wee bit of advanced space crusade. And, but really, Space Hulk, I suppose, was the only one that came close. My brother had the space, uh, first edition Space Hulk with the Deathwing and Gene Stealer games. And that's something else we're planning and doing once this is over, is recording all those missions and you know, playing them again and recording them and sticking them in the channel. So that'll be fun. But yeah, Epic was always my first love, definitely, from the from the wargaming side of things. I was always kind of split between that and the role-playing. So, but yeah, as, as we were talking about earlier on, there's a lot of people having nostalgia at the moment. So I think really when we do more of these conversations, which we plan on doing, we'll probably look at second edition, really, first and foremost. There'll be a lot of conversation about that. And as I say, hopefully we'll get to talk about about third edition and hopefully we'll get to talk about Imperius Dominatus at some point. So plenty of stuff for us to discuss. This isn't this is just the beginning. <laughs> so if you if you've had enough already, I'm sorry about that, but it's, there's plenty more coming. <laughs> so yeah, hope you enjoyed listening. And yeah, we'll be back soon with more epic goodness. So until next time, keep on living the life of die. Okay. Yeah, it was good. Hopefully it's recorded. <laughs> <laughs>